This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Well, good morning, everybody. I am Glenn the Geek from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Jamie Jennings in Norman, Oklahoma. You're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for March 23rd, episode 2896, brought to you today by Stateline Tech. Good morning, horse people. Well, thank you for joining us, everybody. We appreciate it. Before we get started with uh, Daily Winnies today, a couple serious things to chat about. Uh, our thoughts are with our friends and listeners in the South, especially Texas, and now last night, New Orleans, and Louisiana, Alabama, all through there. We have a lot of listeners down there. I know I had uh, two Facebook friends, one who was a listener, who lost their homes in Texas on Monday. Uh, so our thoughts and prayers are with you guys, and I know there's a lot of that that happened with these tornadoes. Um, so anyway, we we just wanted to give our best to everybody in the South. It's not over yet. It's heading into your home state of Georgia and uh, the Carolinas and northern Florida today. So uh, Monday here was bananas. Was I it? mean, just in Oklahoma, we got two inches of rain in one day. And it's in the world of like, this never happens uh, we never we broke a record for rainfall in one day from like 1940, and they're like, "This never it's happens." It's hard to imagine because I live in Florida where it rained two inches in an hour. You know? Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. I, I think it was two inches. I could be wrong, but but what was crazy was my husband, the airline pilot, is based out of Dallas, and he was supposed to come back in on Monday, and all the storms were coming, and he was the last plane able to land in Dallas before they diverted everything because of the weather. And so he calls me as he's getting off the plane. And as I'm talking to him, as he's walking through the airport, you can hear, whoop, whoop, please head to the shelter, please shelter. And so they made everybody in Dallas Fort Worth airport go into a shelter. How big are those shelters? (laughs) And how how many are there? You know, like, there's that's a lot crazy. of people in that airport all the time. <laughs> I know. I can't imagine the organization that's like has to happen to get everybody into a shelter. But no, he and he would text me. He's like still in the shelter waiting for this to pass. My cousin, they, you know, here in Oklahoma, you have a tornado shelter. Everybody has one. It's just a thing you have to have. And if you don't, you know, your neighbor that does. And so you just go over there. However, my cousin in Dallas had to shelter in her house. She got in the bathtub with her three children. That You know, here in Florida, there's no basements, you know, no. and we, we just, it's the innermost room and then you pray, you know, it's like. Yeah, put a mattress over your head. Yeah, like that's you know. going to help. <laughs> right, exactly. So it was definitely scary. Does he, I, I have to think about pilots. I mean, we've all flown around thunderstorms, especially at night when they're very dramatic, but. I, do they get nervous flying in storms like that? You know, that's a great question. I, I, they train for emergencies. It's it, the stuff that he has had to figure out how to do. So, like, he has to go to, like, requalify constantly. Um, and so, they, just so you know, your pilots are incredibly well-trained if they're with American Airlines and the big American companies, Delta, American, so United, Southwest. And all that stuff? Oh, my God. He yeah. will have a simulation where they'll throw five emergencies at them at once. And usually you would only have in real life one, but he has to learn how to navigate around five. So yes, they are very incredibly well trained for things like this. And a lot of times when you're in the plane, you don't even know it, but your pilot is going around storms. Like they won't fly through a storm. They'll either go above it or around it. And so sometimes and you really see that at night. You know, when yeah. you can see the lightning off in the distance. Exactly. Yeah. Or, yeah, I, I think half the time we don't even notice. Like, all of a sudden the flight, you're like, how did we not get, we're 20 minutes late. Yeah. What do we do? It's because they went around a storm. So it is, everything is very, like, I call it like if there's freeways in the sky. And they have people that tell them where they can go. I mean, five feet above and five feet below. Everything is choreographed. I don't know. Those people that work. Oh, the flight controllers. The flight controllers. (laughs) I don't know how those people do it because it seems like the most stressful job in the world. Not to mention people that do schedules. Oh, God. I can't. It's just got to be so difficult. 
When you the bring hell, up the that pilots map, have it easy. When you bring up that <laughs> map of all the planes in the air at once, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, it's solid. And it's all it's solid. <laughs> it's all orchestrated to the exact second when they're going to land, when they're going to take off, when they're do the thing. It's it's pretty intense. And when things change, like there's a problem with an aircraft, all of that gets redone. And so they've got to be just constantly redoing it. I, I can't imagine. Um, no, that's not a job I can handle. Too well, stressful. I'm glad we have pilots like your husband out there. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like I said, the pilot, I think, is the easy job. I think it's the people on the ground that really have it hard. <laughs> well, our thoughts were with everybody. Keep your heads down today. Uh, also, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Ukraine, uh, the horse, uh, kind of give a horse welfare update. Uh, I talked about last week that the FEI had a fundraiser going and they've raised hundreds of thousands of dollars uh now and uh so just over a week after launching the british equestrian organization uh has a ukraine uh fundraiser going and they raised themselves over a hundred thousand pounds in donations along with ninety thousand pounds of feed and bedding and that's nine lorry loads that are on the route to poland right now the Ukrainian Equestrian Federation said the situation is exceptionally challenging and constantly evolving and thanked everyone for their patience, adding that the collaborative efforts from a number of organizations are beginning to have an impact for those who need help. Uh, they went on to name a couple of them, British Equestrian, the FEI, Finnish Equestrian, the Federation apparently has really come uh, to play World Horse Welfare and a couple of others. They said the first horses left Ukraine and arrived at a holding hub in Poland on Saturday, March 19th. And there are horses now exiting the country every day. And they're, they're on Get their them way. Get out of there. Yeah. What a mess. They're on their way to stables in different countries that have volunteered to take in horses. Um, so there's a lot of donations heading that way for the horses. Now, it's not all good news. Uh, you know, you can read reports. Uh, like, we're not going to go over them here, but uh, it's not all good news for the horses there. But at least some of them are getting out at this point, you know, along with the millions of refugees and people that are getting out. Uh, I did one of my uh, Facebook friends that I've known for a long time. His father is a veterinarian, and he's part of that World Veterinarian Organization. Mm -hmm. And they are apparently like 50 vets have descended on Poland, and they're handling all of the small animals that people are bringing out themselves, carrying out. Um, so they're actually doing work for free with all of the s small animals that they can that are coming out of the Ukraine. Wow. So there's a lot of stuff going on that you don't see. Yeah, I mean, we see all the bad reports, obviously, but there's also a lot of good stuff that's going on around the edges, and hopefully it's helping. In like Mr. Rogers way. says, look for the helpers. They're That's there. the only way to make your way through this is just look for the helpers. And I know a lot of you have donated, uh, you know, directly to people and horses and animals. Uh, so thank you for doing what you can for them as well. Well, in our Daily Dose health segment today, we're going to change gears a little bit. And we're going to – Jennifer got a chance to catch up with John Eberth. And he's been researching dwarfism in horses as part of, uh, part of his Ph.D. And he's going to share some of his findings. And I don't know that that's something that we've ever talked about here on the show. So if you're interested in finding out what happens and how they happen and all of that, uh, he, Jennifer's going to be bringing that to you a little later in the show. Jill Stanford of Cowgirl in the Kitchen brings us a monthly recipe using leftover Easter ham. And I have a study show, and we have other horsey nonsense. And then in the Auditor Post show, we're going to do some weird news for you today. You have some, I assume. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> so there's still weird news in the world. <laughs> Did that daily winny winny sound broken to you? I don't know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> Sounded fun here. Uh, birthdays. We have otters with birthdays today. Juniper Dunn, Christina Gerald, Radley Watkins. Rad, we haven't heard from you in a while. What's up? Jessica Troop, our friend who actually came up and helped with the house. Thank you, Jessica. And Laura Blankenship. Happy birthday to all of you. Man, 
I got a busy day today, Glenn. Um, I'm having, I have two horses that are here for uh, training from the rescue. And we had a pre-purchase for one scheduled for Monday, obviously, Weather did not permit that. Turns out sideways rain jogging horses and flexing them in the in the rain. hail isn't good and for And hail is not, not awesome. So you know, this wussy vet decided to like reschedule Tornadoes whatever. Tornadoes kind of uh, interrupt the jog. I had to, I had to, and the, the, the person who is potentially adopting the horse is up in Connecticut. And I had to tell her, I was like, um, so we're going to have to reschedule. And she's like, what's up? And I'm like, mm, lightning storm. Gonna have to, yeah. We're gonna have to go in. <laughs> not, not gonna be able to do this today. So today is rescheduled, and this is a horse named Mega Honor, and he is just awesome. I'm so excited for whoever gets him. He's very, he's a fancy, fancy one. And then uh, the other horse, Criminal, who has been here. Criminal came, and Criminal is a cribber, but it is 100% control. If he's wearing a strap around his neck, he doesn't crib. Second, you take it off, he's like. I'm a cribber, but then you put it back on. He's like, I don't crib. I didn't check him out. So he's, it's completely controlled with a cribbing strap. And I, I find cribbing to be one of the most frustrating things. I want to get somebody on to talk about cribbing because I, this is a, pretty much a new experience for me. Uh, well, with we had having, one at the barn we were at before uh, and she just cribbed all the time. It's hard to watch. Well, it's hard to watch, but again, like, what in this horse's brain? This strap isn't really preventing the horse from doing it, but the horse, like, it's like a dog with a shock mm-hmm. collar on. You don't, you know, it's like well behaved with the collar on, but you take it off and they're like, <laughs> watch this. So I've never seen this like so controlled with a, a strap. But yeah, anyway, so many people don't want to use them. Really? Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, gosh. Put that strap that puppy on. Well, of course, he lost the strap in the pond, rolling in my pond. So I've got one of my... You didn't go and look for it? uh, Believe it or not, no. No. And then we got all this rain. And so now the pond's totally full. And I'm like, well, I'm going to be fishing in six years and pull up that thing. Lucas is going to be like, look Need to get Lucas a snorkel. So gross in that pond. Oh, my God. So gross. So uh, now he's wearing... Because I had to Amazon a new cribbing strap. It doesn't come till tomorrow. Tomorrow or today. So currently he's wearing a green guard muzzle. <laughs> but anyway, oh, somebody's coming to see him today. Exactly. You know what? It sort of works. It sort of doesn't. Uh, <laughs> but he's uh, he, he's going to get uh, somebody's going to come look at him today. So I'm really I'm pleased that two of these guys may potentially have homes this week. It's Yay. a it's a it's a busy day for me for sure. Good. Yay. All right. Well, I'll take some of the pressure off you this morning uh, because Uh, I have a study show for you. Oh, good. Because I have to go to the dentist today and I um, I, like my my palms are already sweaty. So if you can see if I have any dentist studies. (sighs) I do not have any teeth studies. Okay, good. God, I hate the dentist. (laughs) Do you want to guess today? But it's so stressful. Get your hands out of my face. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Then you bleed for an hour. Um, So. So I have to go to the doctor today, too. So we're both in good shape. Uh, so do you want to guess or do you want me to just tell Let you? Let me this? guess. Right. Come on. Okay. Studies show that you get what kind of results from reading? By the way, let me explain study show for new listeners. Once a month, I do study show where I t- actually Google study show and put in the last month, look at the news, and we find out what ridiculous studies we have spent lots of money on that we could have given to Jamie and I and you uh, to do something fun with our horses. But no, we had to spend millions of studies we already know the answer to. So if we already know the answer, then obviously reading, you get positive results in your brain from reading. Correct. I don't know how you ever guessed that. Studies show positive benefits to mental health from reading. The studies show that even six minutes of reading could reduce stress. Now, I think if you're reading about the war in Ukraine, that's probably not true. I think there's, I didn't read the study because I never do, but I think probably there's some certain kind of reading that would help you better than other kinds. And it said 30 minutes of reading is equivalent to doing 30 minutes of yoga. Now, what? I, I know. Maybe for your brain, but definitely not, <laughs> not for, for your, your body. body. <laughs> I know. And again, I think it depends on what kind of reading you're doing. Um, there were three different studies that came out this month about breakfast. Now, do you think they proved that breakfast was the most important meal of the day or not? 
Okay, so we've got three studies. Three different ones. Okay, so one study shows breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Uh, another study shows you should skip breakfast because that's part of that intermittent fasting thing, right? Yeah. And then another study said you should have a light breakfast. Well, that's normally how things go with studies show. Right. Oh. But actually, they all agreed. And they all said that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Now, I think if you're having Lucky Charms, it probably takes some of that away. Although I didn't read the study, so I have no idea. It's so having a cliff bar at 1030 in the morning isn't the healthiest thing for me? I think that probably counts. Okay, um, but then you do eat eggs, right? Um, or not now. Tell me you eat eggs. You have a million chickens. I hate eggs. They're so <laughs> gross. Eggs are disgusting. <laughs> okay. Um, now, you, I reported last week the best news for horse people ever was that they're looking at keeping, you know, daylight savings time, that whole thing, you know, not changing anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, yet, there were two studies, I'm just going to have to tell you this, that said that that's bad for our health, that we should keep changing. What? Yep. You mean you mean everybody wants it dark at five o'clock? Uh, apparently crazy. our bodies do, according to the studies. That is a lie. <laughs> studies show, this is a ridiculous one. Uh, studies show that increased flooding will what to communities? Increased flooding will harm communities. Yeah, that's what the study actually showed. Studies show increased flooding will disproportionately impact communities that are flooded. Oh, my God. That is really (laughs) valuable information. I'm so glad they studied that. I hope they didn't spend money on that, baby. Okay, I have two sexual ones here. Um, Studies show that sex can help you sleep better or not sleep better. Are you leading the witness here? <laughs> That's the just, those are the two options. It's like a yes or a no. It's sleep. You sleep better. Yes. That's exactly what the studies show. Now, again, I think we could have answered that one without any help. Um, and uh, <laughs> does, this is something that Dr. Wendy has talked about on this show. Ginseng, everybody knows that it, quote unquote, is an aphrodisiac. And actually, she talked about that in relation to horses, too. Um, but This study actually studied ginseng, and does it help sexual function or not? Well, I'm assuming it's going to be the opposite of what we know this time, the way you're you're leading the witness on all of these. (laughs) So? I mean, I would say it helps. It does. That's correct. Sexual function improves significantly with ginseng. Dr. Wendy answered that one 10 years ago on this show, so we didn't need to study it. Could have just given her the money. Okay, so a new study looked at over 36,000 adults. And what they found is going from, you're not going to like this one. <laughs> going, as a matter of fact, a lot of you listening are not going to like this one. 36, this is a big study, 36,000. Usually the studies that we talk about are hundreds or tens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> tens. <laughs> this study looked at 36,000 adults and found that going from one to two alcoholic drinks a day causes something to happen. Remember what we talked about earlier that helps you sleep better? Mm. Yeah, that's what I would go with. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, it It leads to activities that make you sleep better. (laughs) That's true, too. That's another study. Uh, This one said that going from one to two alcoholic drinks per day, it didn't specify which alcohol, uh, is linked to a shrinking of your brain equivalent to two years of aging. Well, I don't understand. So every night you have two drinks, you lose two years of your life? I think you use two years of your life if you have two drinks every night. If you have one, apparently you're fine. But two, over the top, and you're losing brain matter. You know what? Two, uh, I, like, am I 90 or am I 40? It, <laughs> you know, that's what I want to know. Like, if I'm 90, I'm cool with that. I I'm cool with that. Study. But if I'm like, if it's going to take me in my 40s, I'm going to cut back. So, you know what? I'll just wait for the next study next month that comes out to tell me the complete opposite. Exactly. That's exactly what will happen. How many alcohol months have we had? Millions of studies about alcohol. All right. So now I, I did look at this study. You know, I always look at one. And the one I looked at, and this is this was more, uh, it was less of a study, although it did show up that way. It's five, and Jamie and I have trouble sleeping. Sleeping is not our strong point. Um, we talked about this on the show many times. Five sleep myths 
that may be keeping you from a good night's rest. Now, these are myths, and I'm going to tell you whether they're true or false, okay? okay. So you can see what you're doing wrong. Is it a myth or a fact that I'm if I'm going to give myself a point for each one that I do. Okay. If you lie in bed long enough, you'll fall asleep. That's the myth. Is that true or false? That's definitely false. <laughs> You're exactly right. Living, it, it does say when it comes to sleep no-nos, experts say this is a big one. Lying in bed, even with your eyes closed for more than 15 to 20 minutes, is one of the worst things you can do because it trains your brain to associate the bed with lack of sleep. That's stupid. Carry on. Next. <laughs> so you don't, do you lay there or do you get up and do something? That's apparently what it's saying is you should just. So I have the blue light on my phone turned off. And so when I can't sleep, I pick up my phone and I play word or like some sort oh, of word game. Myth or fact. Perfect lead in. You shouldn't check your smartphone if you wake in the night. I'm not checking <laughs> my smartphone because that leads to stress. But what I do 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 is I play a word game to relax my brain. You know, the other thing that really works for me too is if I'm laying in bed and I'm laying there with my eyes closed and I can't sleep, I'll watch a movie in my head. Now, what I mean by that is I like say pride. I've watched pride and prejudice with Kira Knightley about 6 million times. <laughs> so I can imagine her walking through the laundry with her book, read her book. She walks inside. Mr. Mr. Bingley has made an appearance. He's going to come out blah, 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 and I do the whole movie. And by about a third of the way through, I'm asleep. And there you go. Whatever. Which works. is what happens when I watch it. <laughs> this is why I watch it six million times. By the way, it's a fact you shouldn't check your smartphone uh, in the middle of the night, which all of us do. And uh, they actually remember you can turn off the blue light completely on your phone. I just turned I mine that upside from down. Coffin. So I just do that upside down. But it does say, and I'm guilty of this too. It does say you shouldn't even bring your. Your, your smartphone shouldn't be even in the bedroom. It should. Be, I do uh, have it on Do Not Disturb, so if I do anything that. comes up. Yeah. And it does say you also shouldn't look at it an hour or so before bed, which, <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. Sleep myths that may be keeping you from a good night's rest. Exercising in the evening will disrupt sleep. Okay. Well, Is that a I'm myth gonna... or a fact? Uh, I think that that's a myth. You're I've right. Heard. You're right. It says basically exercise anytime. As long as you're getting exercise, it has more benefits. So. It just makes you tired. Yeah, exactly. I think exercise, you know, we all, when we work at the barn and we're cleaning stalls and we work hard all day, putting hay up or whatever, we all sleep better. So exercise obviously makes you sleep better. And the last one, you can catch up on sleep on the weekends. I think that's true. It's false. Sadly, what? you can't catch up on sleep. There's no such thing as catching up on sleep. You're just getting a good like a night's bank? sleep. <laughs> a bank of... If there's not a bank of sleep, that doesn't work. Oh. So, no, you can't catch up well, on sleep. Well, you know what? I'll just wait till next month till they tell me there is. You just basically had a good night's sleep. And you're not making up for the nights you didn't have good night's sleeps. So, that's what they're saying. So, there you go. There's your myths and your facts. You got them almost all right, I think. Good for you. Do you know, Stateline Tech is coming up. Uh, what is it, a month yeah, it's almost a month now till April 28th through May 1st. You know what happens then? Mm -hmm -hmm. Yes, I do. I'm so excited. <laughs> Land Rover. Whoop, whoop. I just got an email about the open barn and barbecue at New Vocations. I'm totally going to go to that. It's going to be awesome. Oh, Maybe remind that's me where to we sign can up for your press passes. I think that's now open. So remind me to do that. Yes, you have to do that. I've, I've, I've sent that information to you. Yes, but they, I couldn't do it. They weren't open. They, they opened them late this year. So remind me to do that after the show so I don't forget. So yeah, Land Rover's coming up at Stateline Tech. It's going to be there. They have one of the largest booths at Land Rover. They're always in the old indoor up in the top level. You can find them there. They take up about 25 booths. They bring tons of stuff. They're going to be doing 50% off Gatsby, Da Vinci, Oak Brands, and 80% off Khaki. So go check them out. See what, they're, what they have on sale. And uh, definitely you want to save your money. You all haven't been there in two years, so I hope you're saving your money for all the stuff you get to buy. So that's going to be coming up. Also, StatelineTAC.com has one of the largest selection of online items available to you. Head on over to StatelineTAC.com. They have something new on the homepage almost every day, so check it out today. StatelineTAC.com, and if you're going to Kentucky, check them out there. Now coming up, our health segment is brought to you by Daily Dose Inquine. Coach Jen had a chance to catch up with John Eberth, and he is a Ph.D. candidate at the University of Kentucky's Gluck Equine Research Center, and he has been researching dwarfism in horses as part of his Ph.D. So let's hear what he had to say about dwarfism in horses. 
Well, I'm very happy to welcome to the show Dr. John Eberth, who is a PhD candidate at the University of Kentucky's Gluck Equine Center. And he, he is here to chat with us a little bit about minis, but not the kind of minis you and I love to go, ah, when we see videos on YouTube. These are the kind of minis that are actually genetically altered, genetically messed up. They're called dwarfs. And Dr. Eberth is doing all kinds of interesting research into this problem. So thanks for joining me on the show today. Absolutely. So first, can you define what is a dwarf as far as equines are concerned? What makes something a dwarf? Well, dwarfism in general, referring to a diseased growth pattern, like you would see in any other species, also in equines, you're looking for something that is um, not in proportion. So you do have dwarfism that is proportional dwarfism, and that exists. There are some diseased uh, instances within the humans. However, dwarfism mainly has to deal with disproportionate body parts. Let's just keep it that way. So you have... Legs that are extremely shortened. Uh, you have certain other parts that are larger than they should be. And so those are the things that you would instantly look at an individual, a horse individual, and, and say, okay, if we're looking at miniatures, the whole ideal of miniature is a horse in miniature. So you would expect proportion. You would expect a horse in miniature and everything is proportionate but smaller. However, with dwarfism in the miniatures, you do have smallness. You do have extreme smallness, in fact. However, those proportions are now gone. You have very, very short legs, a enlarged cranium, um, not necessarily an enlarged body, but a, a body that has um, a larger abdomen and certain other uh, structural issues that are due to the bone malformations. And so that's really, when you look at dwarfism in miniatures, you're looking at disproportionate issues. So body parts that are disproportionate. So why is it that, and, and we've all, we've all seen the, the pictures of the dwarf minis with these little tiny short legs, and they look a little bit like what we used to call Thelwell ponies in that the little tiny short legs, ginormous manes mm -hmm. and big heads, and it looks like they have giant pot bellies. What, what causes the giant pot belly look? Actually, that is a good question. Think about with dwarfism, the, the disease involves bone. So you have bones that don't grow the proper length or size. Well, the disease does not involve any soft tissue. So your organs are still the same size. So you have an adult miniature horse that might, let's say, be 34, 35, or 36 inches tall. However, the in internal organs are, are the same as, let's say, if it had a dwarf, let's say there was an offspring that was a dwarf, you would look at, okay, that horse might end up being close to that same size, but the internal organs are not affected. So most dwarves, their large abdomens are really due to the normal-sized organs within the body. Um, there are some issues with, obviously, uh, GI tract problems due to the... the mashing of of organs in a very small space so lack of of um uh, gastrointestinal flow is restricted and things like that so a lot of dwarves end up having gastrointestinal issues are susceptible to colic things like that very similar to what you would find in cattle actually dwarfism in cattle um that was well known within angus and other uh hereford breeds of the 60s and 70s and, and the 50s, that those dwarfs, they ended up, because they are ruminants, they would be bloated, and the gas would not be able to be released, and so 
dwarves cattle would need to have their their intestines um released for their gas else they would literally explode Ew. and so yeah their their inter their their intestines would stretch and and become susceptible to to rupture because their gas was so was retained so much and so are so there are we, there other we, health are we, there other <laughs> health problems that one might see besides gastrointestinal problems for an animal yes, that has been afflicted yes. with dwarfism yeah yeah in fact the actually the most um common problem with dwarves in, in uh caring for them is lack of nutrition people not only don't might not feed them enough just because they're small doesn't mean that their metabolism and their needs are that small the other thing is is that their teeth because their bone growth is abnormal, their jaw bone growth will be abnormal, and most all of them have an off offset bite. So it's either uh, a severe underbite or some other malformation of the molars. And so what would happen is that due to the chewing and the wear and tear of the teeth, the teeth would not wear properly and would cause hooks. And and what what would be referred to as a locked jaw where they would have very restrictive movement that would not allow them to obviously chew their food well enough. So they would literally not get enough food in. They literally don't get enough food in and they need much more maintenance for their teeth than a normal horse would. So malnutrition is really the biggest problem in dwarfism uh, other than the teeth. The management of the teeth and the the hooves. The hooves, they can be nowadays. They have uh, little glue-on shoes that really help with dealing with the leg malformations and helping keep their hooves growing properly. Um, but there's really the only thing you can do with teeth is constant uh, management of the teeth to make sure they have freedom of movements so they can literally chew enough food so they can eat and feeding them enough. Isn't that interesting? So they have us caloric needs appropriate for their size, but getting Correct. those nutrients into them because they have difficulty consuming foods can be a real challenge. So is feeding a dwarf horse, whether it's of a miniature horse breed or other breeds, because there are other breeds that, that, genetically carry the dwarf genes, um, Frisians being one of them. And I'm sure there's others that I don't mm -hmm. know about. Um, is feeding them during their growth years as, as babies, does that differ or is it more critical to feed them properly because of these potential bone problems? Is the, In other words, the, does nutrition play a role? Can you help avoid some of these problems by giving them the appropriate nutrition or is it going to happen, period? The, the abnormal growth is going to happen, period, and the abnormal um, wear and tear of the hooves and the teeth are going to happen no matter what. You're, you're not, unfortunately, going to be able to stop the abnormal growth of the legs, the joints, and the mandible. Um, what's going to happen is, is that your management, starting early, especially with the legs, um, that would help minimize the uh, joint and leg malformation growth as as the dwarf baby grows. And so, obviously, keeping the hooves trimmed and and actually, you know, having some sort of shoes to to help them keep better angles on their legs and better angles on their hooves um, will minimize the the malformation occurrence doesn't change the disease genetic, but it, it will minimize the leg malformation because if you just let it go, let's just say, for instance, you just let it go and you trimmed your feet as the best you could, but you just let it go. And the, the bones and the joints are going to have severe consequences in, in rotation and, and fusion of some of the joints just because of the disease and the progression of the disease. Whereas if you could manage it, you can at least minimize the rotation and the turn and the angles that, that occur due to the genetic disease. Same thing with the teeth. You can 
manage it uh, more aggressively, you know, manage, uh, have their teeth filed, you know, more than twice a year, usually of every couple of months would be good. Um, the caloric needs, making sure that you understand a pot belly is not a fat dwarf. Um, they're going to have a pot belly no matter what. The most important thing is feeling the musculature across the back in the hips and the shoulder and the neck. Thin, a thin horse is very evident there. And so, you know, a, 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 it would be better to have a heavy dwarf than a very malnutrition dwarf. They already have issues gastrointestinally anyways. And so it would be much better to make sure they're fed well than, than worrying about underfeeding them. Well, that's real. That's really interesting. So how does one guard against ending up with now 100% of, of horses that are afflicted with dwarfism don't necessarily have the full complement of health issues with when you have a dwarf, obviously you're not going to want to use it as breeding stock. How does this end up happening where you end up with, because I'm guessing that if you have a dwarf that's severely afflicted, that dwarf is not going to be a good candidate to be a broodmare because things aren't going to fit. So they end up, you end up with um, stallions who are dwarfs that end up passing along the genetic code that creates more dwarfism. Well, you what in 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 miniatures and and in Parisians and in Shetlands, the there's there's different mutations. The the Parisians have a mutation in a completely different gene than the smaller horse breeds. The the uh, there's a mutation called skeletal atavism. It's um, a, actually, there's two mutations involved in that disease. It involves uh, malformations of the legs where the body is normal in miniatures and ponies. The head is normal, um, but the legs are severely affected, the, the upper um, bones of the legs. Uh, that in and of itself is a, a different disease, and it is recessive. And so you have carriers. So they look normal, but they carry this recessive disease gene. Uh, that the Friesians is also recessive. The uh, disease that, that I worked on for my master's was with gene involved in Agrican, which is actually the gene that, in, that uh, encodes for cartilage that turns into bone. So it affects uh, a lot of the long bones and other bones within the body that uh, have a major part of growth. Uh, so what, what that entails is, and that was, that's recessive too, and there's multiple mutations within that gene. So all these recessive diseases can have carriers. So they look completely normal. Now that in and of itself, um, you know, you, you would unwillingly or unknowingly breed, um, a carrier to another carrier and, about 25% chance you're going to possibly have a dwarf. And so now that diseased individual is homozygous for those diseases, and that's all the, it has. So it's going to, if you ever bred that, it would always pass on those mutations to every individual. So it is never recommended to breed these individuals. The reason is... Uh, number one, for mares that are dwarfs, it would be basically a death sentence. Um, they would likely not be able to even carry the foal to term and let alone deliver it without um, some sort of dystocia. The stallions um, physically could breed if they were able to accomplish uh, the process, if they were tall enough and could manage that, because a, a dwarf, and even in comparison to a normal size mini, a dwarf is substantially smaller and restricted in size. And so the physical aspect of trying to use dwarfs to reproduce are actually very, very difficult, if you physically difficult to try to do that. But, you know, the carriers are the ones that normally 
they the, the, the people would never even think that they have a carrier until they have a dwarf by chance. And so that's where people then say, okay, do I want to continue breeding this carrier? Um, yeah, there's a lot of discussion about that. It's, it's the, the mentality or the thought process is very similar to what the quarter horses experience with HYPP. You know, it's, you know, we have a disease, the, these horses have this mutation. Do I want to continue to breed it and things like that? Um, and so, you know, what the associations for the breeds have decided is, yes, you have the option to manage your horses according to your preferences, but your horse would have labeled on its registration paper a carrier, very similar to what, what is done with HYPP. So that's where people then can make a decision. Yes, my horse is a carrier, but... I want to make sure I breed that carrier to a, a stallion that is not a carrier and vice versa. So I have a mare that's normal. I theoretically could breed to a carrier stallion if, the, if they desired. So that's kind of where the management aspect is as a breeder comes into play with dealing with this disease within the industry. Um, yes, there are people that, that have dwarfs that um, I've tried to breed them and stuff like that, but it is really not recommended just for the sheer fact of um, the physical aspects of delivery and, and carrying a foal for especially the mares, the dwarf mares. It's, it's very, very unlikely that they would survive it. Yeah. Can the genetic defect that causes the various types of dwarfism, can it be detected in any horse? Can it always be detected if you do a, te- a DNA test? Yeah. It, it, in, in horses, in, in horses of the breed that would genetically, for instance, like miniatures or minis or pony crosses, things like that, you would expect to uh, have that mutation within that breed. Um, there's not a breed, a large horse breed known to have those mutations. Um, no different than with the Frisian. There's no breed known to have that same mutation. Um, skeletal atavism, uh, that's seen in the miniatures and the ponies that's not seen in any other horse breed. So there has been, there's been testing done of numerous other horse breeds of large numbers to see by chance are those mutations in other breeds and they're not. And so these are breed specific mutations, no different than HYPP. So HYPP is unique to the quarter horses and quarter horse crossed breeds. Right. Right. So, so that, that's where you have mutations that by chance occurred after those breeds were originated. Established, yeah. 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 How interesting. So for, for somebody who wants to learn a little bit more about this because maybe they're interested in minis, maybe they're interested in Frisians, maybe they're just interested in the topic, do you have any suggestions on finding good um, data or research online? Yeah, actually, um, there's quite a lot of information just on, off, of, off of Googling miniature horse dwarfism um, and Frisian dwarfism. There's, you, there would be quite a lot pop up in that is scientifically based. That's usually breed published information within the breeds uh, to try to educate the buyers and owners and also new people that want to that are thinking about getting involved in, in that certain breed. There's, it's something that we, with me, I grew up in the miniatures and the ponies. And so I, in fact, you know, dealt with this when I was younger and my family had miniatures and we had a a pretty large horse farm. And so I knew about this when I was growing up. And so that in and of itself has quite a lot of people it's not something that is has been ignored or anything it's just that you know there are aspects within every breed um you know arabians have certain issues there's other breeds that have certain issues 
And so whenever you are interested in, in a certain horse breed, you, you really want to do the best you can and, and just look up what you can online. And usually the breed registries and the breed associations are really good about providing information about their breed, whether you know it would be something genetic or something that would have to do with any other type of management that you would need to know to be educated to be in that breed, they usually are really good about providing that kind of information. Really cool. Well, thank you very much, Dr. John Eberth, for hanging out on the show with me today and telling us all about dwarfism in horses. Well, thank you very much for having me. So I'm so happy to be hanging out here with Janet Geyer, who is the mad scientist behind Daily Dose Equine Horse Feeds. And I just saw coming across my newswire recently that all of the Daily Dose Equine Horse Feeds are now non-GMO verified through the Non-GMO Project. Tell me what that means. Well, for simplicity, it means that the place where the feed is made has been certified to be non-GMO and that all the ingredients are traceable back to the original place where they came from and they are all certified non-GMO because of that. It also means that there are no uh, chemicals that are added into the feed uh, through the growing process or the manufacturing process. And it particularly means that there is no Roundup that, that's big because that's a re- it's a really common product that is used in the agricultural industry and it is used on okay. animal feed. So that's a that's a pretty big deal. Right. So right. they do allow a certain amount of uh, Roundup to be in animal feed, but our feeds have zero. How many different horse feed formulas does Daily Dose Equine currently have? We have four feeds and four forage balancers. Uh, six of which are carried by Chewy. There we go. So if you need to learn more about Daily Dose Equine Horse Feeds or you want to find a local dealer near you, you can go to www.dailydoseequine.com or if you want to just shop around for, for horse feed from Daily Dose Equine, place an order and get fast and convenient delivery nationwide, you can do that at Chewy.com. Well, coming up next is Jill, our cowgirl in the kitchen. She joins us once a month to give us a recipe. And last month, she had these potato things that Jamie tried. Oh, my God, they were so good. I I never would have thought to put potatoes in a crock pot. But because usually you're like sitting there if they're in the oven and you have no check them and make sure this was put them in the crock pot and walk away. And exactly. That was the best potato I've ever had. I'm sorry. I'm so glad to hear that. Wow. And even my son and husband liked him. And my son is eight and he's picky. So even he liked it. (laughs) I think we had a bunch of auditors try it too. And now we, we, I finally found the crock pot again after we moved. So I'm going to give it a try. I bought some potatoes specifically to try this. So, okay. We want to hear about it. If you go to, uh, if you go just search for Jill Charlotte Stanford in our, uh, Go to our website and search that. You'll bring up the uh, recipe for last month, and you can check that out. But you have a brand new one for us coming up, and you were thinking ahead because Easter is right around the corner. I don't even know when yes, Easter is. is this month. Is it early or yes, late it is. In, in April? I don't know. It's uh, always early or late. It's never <laughs> on the same day. No. That's why it's a little confusing. But it is fun to you know to kind of look ahead. And I think that most people have a traditional... Easter dinner of ham and scalloped potatoes and maybe some fresh asparagus, you know, things like that. But, you know, there was a famous cookbook author who said the definition of eternity is one ham and two people. Oh, my God. That is so true. (laughs) That's the truth. (laughs) That ham will last you a month. You're going to be so sick of ham. It goes forever and ever. So you have it with scrambled eggs, and you, you try it maybe... Some other way, but my sister, who is my co-author of the upcoming book that's coming out, uh, The Cowgirls Cook for the Great Outdoors, came up with an awfully good, delicious, and simple recipe to use up 
the leftover ham. That it's and it's a completely different take on it. So here we go. You need three cups of white or brown rice, three tablespoons of vegetable oil, quarter of a cup of ham diced. You can use a little more if you want. Two eggs beaten with one tablespoon of water, a quarter cup carrots peeled and diced, a quarter cup celery, the string removed and diced, a half cup sweet onion diced, and a quarter of a cup frozen peas a quarter of a cup green onions chopped, and two to four tablespoons, are you ready, soy sauce or more to taste. In a large saute or frying pan, saute the carrots, celery, and onions in the oil until they're all nice and soft. Add the frozen peas and then move all these cooked vegetables to one side of the pan. Pour the eggs into the space created and cook as if you would be scrambling the eggs and then combine them with the vegetables. Add the ham and the green onions and heat through. Add the rice and combine with the other ingredients and then start adding the soy sauce to taste two tablespoons at a time. When it tastes just right, heat it thoroughly. This is very good served with a fruit salad. And I think you could serve it the next day or the day after, and everybody's going to like it very much. Basically, it's ham fried rice. And I have made this. This is one of my favorite things to do with ham after. And it's also, if I have leftovers, the nice thing about fried rice is whatever you have left, vegetable-wise, meat-wise, whatever, you can make fried rice with it. It's perfect. It's always just perfect. Perfect. So I'm glad that she thought of that. I said, you know, we need we need to come up with something that isn't just going to be scalloped potatoes with leftover ham, you know, or something like that. And she she said, well, let me let me play around with that. And this is what she came up with. And I think, as I said, it's a nice nice change from the taste of the ham from Easter. So it's a completely different taste. Now the so other there thing, you go. the other thing I've done, we, I've made it exactly with these ingredients before. And one of the things when I didn't have peas is I would replace it with green beans. Um, that is a really good idea because green beans and ham go together anyway, right? So um, absolutely. So I'd replace it. Now I made. Uh, by the way, we're going to put this recipe in the show notes so you don't have to remember it. Don't worry about that. It'll be right in your show notes, right there on your phone. And I know a lot of you try the recipes we do every month, and and this would be a good one. The other thing, I made the mistake, Jill, of buying low-sodium soy sauce. Now, it was awful. That's <laughs> all I have here. Oh, it's oh awful. I have, when I have to add salt after putting on soy sauce, you know that I it's agree. awful. Oh, I agree. It I agree. A, isn't soy yes, sauce it. for the salt? That's why you have soy sauce. That's right. And you know, you're, and you're not eating it every day by the right. gallon, so you're not going to drop dead from heart attacks. You know, use the real thing I, in everything. <laughs> you're I outvoted think. on this one, Jamie. You Don't actually use any. the low sodium? Oh, that stuff is. I, I've never bought the red. I always buy the green. Really? Yes. I. Try try the red and let us know. <laughs> Listen, I'm going to keep my husband from having hypertension, okay? <laughs> yeah, we don't want the pilot flying around with high blood pressure. So. Green That's true. Is, no. is, is the go-to in this house. But, you, you know, here's the thing is I would try that and I would like it better. So then I would use it more. So I'm just going to keep the one we kind of I think it's like, what you're yeah. used to, too. I, yeah. I, I had never had the low sodium. And I didn't realize I had bought low sodium. And I after... I had fried rice, and I went, wow, this just doesn't taste right. And I blamed mm-hmm. my cooking when, in fact, I looked at the bottle and went, no wonder I had to add salt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It, it just it does make a, quite a difference. I don't know how often do you use soy sauce, Jamie? Well, you I rice mean, lot, not that. Yeah, but I don't use soy sauce all that often. No. Then when you do, use the real thing because it does make a tremendous <laughs> You're being called <laughs> out by Jill. It's a tremendous taste <laughs> difference in anything that you're going to, you know, anything you're going to do. I, it's just, I, Glenn is right. I'm glad he brought that up because it's, taste is everything. When we Jill. eat, we eat with our eyes and we eat with our tongue. You know, we eat with taste. And I think the real taste is what we're going for. Listen, I'll just have potatoes, okay? Because here's the deal. <laughs> okay. uh, I have been a vegetarian for 36 years and I, I've given up on taste. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> 
It's okay. I eat like every once in a while, my son will take a bite of my food and he'll be like, that's actually good. I'm like, I don't eat dog food all the time, but I feel like sometimes I do. And I'm used to like having mm-hmm. like food is not a real special thing for me. It is when you bring these awesome recipes though. So um, I got to tell you, fried rice though is something that I will make a lot just vegetarian. I will just make it with vegetables. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Put mushrooms in it. There's many, many things you can do with fried rice. Yeah. This right. is just the leftover ham recipe. But yes, there's lots you can do with fried rice. Listen, I'm not trying to start a fight with you. You're the one who told me I had to use the other soy sauce. (laughs) Well, we'll put this recipe in the show notes. Now, when does your book come out? Can people get it yet? The new book is going to it's going to be released in in April. It's on Amazon already for pre-order. And I'm expecting to get a box full of books. Any day now, I can't wait to see it. It's because it's been three years because of the pandemic. It was really something getting it published, but you know, two it's of going your favorite to be. Uh, podcast hosts get books. As a matter of fact, I believe that they do. Oh, good. Don't good. shill for free stuff. Come on. <laughs> yeah, well, why not? Why not? Because I <laughs> talk about how wonderful they are. Actually, I think it's a great book, and we had a wonderful time writing it um, two years ago, and I can hardly wait to see it because I can hardly remember what we put in it in the, in the first place <laughs> What's now. it called again? So much time is gone. The Cowgirls Cook for the Great Outdoors. Okay, I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes so people can pre-order it. Yeah, it's you can see it on Amazon. And all my other books are on Amazon. You just type in my name on Amazon under author, and they'll all come up. There's quite a few of them. And you can get it. Why would you get a Kindle version of a cookbook? That doesn't make sense to me for some reason. It doesn't. No, I know. I, I prefer putting it on the kitchen counter where you can lean over and read it, you know, because I've actually dropped my cell phone. You know, it just doesn't work. Into the beef stew, cell phones don't like that too much. Uh, Uh, No, no. exactly. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things in the cookbook I'm looking here at Amazon is beer batter pancakes with citrus bourbon syrup. Yep. Uh, Yep. Combining alcohols (laughs) there. What's better for breakfast? (laughs) It cooks away. It cooks away. Yeah, yeah, I, okay. You said that spend before. The rest of the yeah. day with a hangover. <laughs> no, there's some pretty there's some pretty good recipes out there. That's for sure. I love We've you had because fun doing it. One of the other recipes is hearty Dutch oven nachos with a cold glass of moonshine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you make the moonshine? Is there a recipe for that too? Actually, um, there is. Oh. There, there really is a recipe for moonshine yes. in this new book. Something you can get into, Jamie. God, I love her. I just love her so much. Thanks, Jill. Appreciate you being Thank here. You. Thank you both. And take care of those chickens, Jamie. I can hardly wait to see more pictures. I had bantams, and I was crazy about those chickens. They were wonderful. They have personalities. You know, they, they bond with you. I think they're wonderful. Oh, these two Maybe. little silkies that we got, Lucas and I are like, we need to go to chicken shows. I'll show the black one. He's going to show the white one. Yes, we're we're planning on all of this. I need to go. I'm so it. glad. I'm so glad. <laughs> people overlook chickens as pets. <laughs> oh, they're awesome. They, they're wonderful. And they're great pasture control, too. Wonderful. Oh, yeah. They're scraping around out there. You know, you don't have to go out with a rake and break up all those clods. You don't have to do it. They do it for you. They're wonderful. Just great to talk to you, too. Have a happy, happy Easter. Let me know how these recipes turn out for you, and I'll see you next month. All right. Thanks, all right. Jill. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, there you go. I love doing the cooking segments. I really do. We all I just cook. really like her. Like yes. I just like I just want to like so... sit next to her and like wine and dine. I wonder know? how many people are now ordering the book because of the moonshine <laughs> recipe. Um... I mean, come on. <laughs> That's a very hush hush thing. She's just throwing it out there. I love it. Well, weird news is gonna be in the post show this week. So if you want to get the post show, become an auditor, head on over to horseradionetwork.com, click on the auditor banner upper right hand corner of the page for as little as three dollars a month. You too can get all the extras of the post show. I hope tonight, I think it's gonna be tonight or tomorrow night, I'm gonna be doing a video Facebook Live of the new studio here. It's all set up, Jamie. It's a lot better than last time I showed you. Um, I'm so proud. Actually, I love it. I think it's I think it's better than the last one. I just love how it looks. It came out great. Um, and one of my highlights, I'll show it in the video tonight. 
that makes me happy every time I walk in is the Fergus painting that uh, Jean Abernathy did of Helena and I when we were doing the the art show. She did a painting during the art show that we did during uh, during COVID times of Helena and I and Fergus in the middle, and it's just so bright and colorful. It makes me happy. Thank you, Jean, for doing that. Appreciate that. I know she listens to the show sometimes, so thank you. I hope you heard that. Post-show, wait around, auditors. We'll be doing some weird news. Where we got them from this time, by the way? Oh, my gosh. <clears throat> Aaron, Ruth, Ellen, Lorene, Jenny, Amy, and Casey all basically sent stories from, guess where? Oklahoma. No, not at all. Stick around. You'll find out. Oh, I'm supposed to play the closing music, isn't I? Here we go. <laughs> See y'all. Unbelievable. You have one job. A really bad ads on Friday. Get your ads into Jennifer at horseradionetwork.com. Stay neuter.